Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church and Happy Easter. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If it's your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and fill out this form called I'm New. And if you do that for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there for you. Well, I want to, I want you to think for a moment just how amazing today is. Like, think about this. All around the world, millions of people and hundreds of thousands of churches are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not in the grave, guys. He's not dead. He is alive today. Now, if you were to ask people about Jesus, especially in our world right now, here in America, who he was and what he did, is he really God, that sort of thing, you'll get a a wide array of answers, right? And that's because we live in a very spiritual but pluralistic culture. Without a doubt, we are, you know, intensely spiritual as human beings. Think about this for a moment. Think of all the supernatural films and books and graphic novels that are immensely popular in our culture. Like, we really are spiritual aren't we? Something within us just innately knows there's more to this life. That there is, in fact, a spiritual side to creation that we're somehow a part of. So if you ask about Jesus or eternity or the spiritual, you'll get answers which go in all kinds of different directions. Most people believe that in the end, everything really is the same, right? That all roads lead back to God or whatever our idea of God happens to be. So it doesn't matter what we believe. Each religious faith and spiritual belief, it's all essentially the same. And it's really understandable how you get there, right? I mean, think about this for just a moment. All the different faiths have similar beliefs to them, don't they? And and it can lead you to conclude, well, you know, the differences that they have are stark in some places, but they're basically the same thing, right? They kind of want the same thing, the world to be a better place, that kind of idea. It's kind of like the story of some blind men trying to figure out, you know, what an elephant is. They come to different conclusions based on the different parts of the elephant that they feel. So, you know, one thought the elephant's trunk was a snake. (laughs) Another thought its tail was a rope. A third thought the legs were like tree trunks. And as they're describing to each other what they feel, they start to accuse each other of not being honest with their own descriptions. And as they're fighting, somebody walks up and they describe the elephant to them. And they realize that, okay, we were all kind of right and we're all kind of (laughs) wrong. And that's a simple way, a very simple way for sure, to describe a pluralistic world. We have different perspectives, but not the whole truth. So we can that everything really is the same. But what if it's not the same? What if there really are stark differences between the different spiritual beliefs which exist? I think what's interesting to me is that, you know, we don't usually think much about God or eternity until something tragic happens, right? So when a tragedy occurs, we tend to think about about God for sure. Like, how could a good, loving God allow this to happen? You know, we think about eternity because our loved one's gone. They're no longer here. And we think, well, will we ever ever see them again? Are they really in a better place than, than this? When we contemplate our own lives, You know, is this really it? Is this all there is to life? You know, we're thinking about how we exist. And we want to believe in the midst of tragedy and death and self-discovery that there really is something on the other side which is better. 
And in fact, I believe we're drawn to this because we're naturally drawn to the spiritual. Now, of course, I'm a pastor and you would expect me to say that, but it's really true. I believe we're spiritual beings, you know, meaning this, that we have a spirit which lives on for all of eternity. And if that's true, then what happens after this life, well, it really does matter, doesn't it? And this is precisely why we are so drawn to the spiritual and supernatural and why it's just everywhere in our culture. Spiritual conversations, when they take place, really aren't that controversial. You know, I mean, think about it like this. Like we, we're, we're created this way. We're created to be spiritual beings. But where they get a little tense is when you bring up somebody like you know, Jesus, for instance. Now, no rational scholar denies the existence of a historical Jesus. We know that he existed. He really did live in the first century. He really was crucified. We like his teachings, help the poor, love others, forgive people. So why do so many folks wig out over Jesus? I think the biggest reason is the exclusive claim that he makes. Remember, we live in an inclusive, pluralistic world. We want everyone treated equally, nobody left out. Every face should lead to the same place and we die, all that kind of stuff, right? If we're good people, we live on in a wondrous paradise called heaven. But Jesus really turns that belief on its head and he makes a very exclusive claim in John 14, 6. Now, here he's been talking about eternity and he says in John 14, 4 that his followers, will, you know, they, they know the way to where he's going. Again, speaking of eternity here. But one guy named Thomas speaks up and he says this in John 14 verse 5. He says, no, we don't know, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and you've seen him. So if you embrace the idea that every path leads to the same eternal destination, those are really troubling words, right? I mean, you can like Jesus, you can like what he teaches, but you can't accept him just as a teacher now because he hasn't, as famed author C.S. Lewis tells us, left us with that option, right? And he did not intend to do so. I think from Jesus' own words in John 14, it's pretty obvious that he's making this exclusive claim and it doesn't fit well in our very all-inclusive culture and world, right? So where does that leave us then? Well, we can all acknowledge that there are some good things about a lot of different faiths and belief systems. But because of Jesus' own claim to be this definitive way to God, I don't think we can conclude they're all the same. You know, in fact, they're not all even going in the same direction. They're not even anywhere close. They're actually pretty different. And just for a few moments, I just want to give you a quick overview of what some of the major faith systems out there believe. Okay, this is not exhaustive. I don't have time to get into detail, but a very quick, simplistic overview. So let's just start with Buddhism. Buddhists don't believe in a, in a being like God or final existence or that kind of thing. Instead, there are countless rebirths that one endures until reaching a state of nirvana where the rebirth cycle stops. Hinduism, they believe in reincarnation, kind of like that, but there are multiple deities who are impersonal and you can you know, approach them in different ways, including through statues or idols. But both of these belief systems, they offer no forgiveness for your sins. You have to pay for your wrongs your way. That's really what karma boils down to. You do something bad, you know, something bad happens to you that could be worse. 
you do something good, something good will happen to you that could be better next time. That's how karma works. You gotta pay for it on your own. That's different from Islam, right? So Islam worships God in a very personal way, but here you're standing with God is completely works-based. And even when you do all the things you're supposed to do as a good Muslim, there's still no guarantee you won't escape some sort of punishment for your own sins. Now contrast that with somebody who's into some new age movements and belief systems, okay? There is no God. There's just the universe, right? You know, your aim is to be in alignment with the universe. We see this in TV shows all the time. The universe hates me. The universe planned this. I'm one with the universe, whatever it is. But again, you gotta deal with your own wrongs and sins and accept whatever punishment comes your way. So a Christian believes in a personal God. There's three main monotheistic religions in our, in our world today, right? Judaism, Christianity, Islam. But what sets Christianity apart is a personal God who loves humanity so much that he became like them in the person of Jesus and he lived without sin and he died for our sin and he rose again. People in Christianity are made right, not by going through endless rebirths or working hard to right the wrongs or experiencing karma, but through the faith in Jesus Christ that they have. And it's only in this instance that I, I know of, really, where, where God is coming down to man to save man. Man's not trying to get to God. He's coming down to save us. Many faiths exist in our world, but they're all not the same. And there are multiple complexities that we just don't have time to touch on. But if we break everything down into the simplest of terms, we can say, yeah, these faith systems are really different. So here's what I'm asking from you today. I don't care what background you have. I don't care who you are. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. And I want you to be, you know, just understand this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening here, I'm not asking you to consider Radiant Church or a denomination or even Christians, because we can all agree Christians are a little bit out there sometimes. I'm not asking you to consider even me because I'm human. I'm, I'm imperfect. I'm asking you to consider Jesus here today. Consider Jesus. And where I want to start is the reason for his coming. I want to ask you to first consider the ministry of Jesus, what he did, what his impact was like. Mark chapter 2, verse number 16 tells us this. And when the teachers of uh, religious law, who, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, you know, this is the thing about Jesus. He's hanging out with people that religion rejected. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? So in other words, like someone who's of Christ standing should not be with people like that. And when, when Jesus heard this, he says, well, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous or godly here, okay? But those who know they're sinners. Let me tell you why I love this so much. It's a game changer. Like Jesus did not come for those people who have it all together. He came for people like me who need help, who need grace, who need forgiveness. He came for people that religion rejected. And when everyone else said, we're too good, or we're too holy, or we're too pious, like we're too godly for you and you're not. You know, Christ said, bro, I came for you. I came for you, man. He loved people. He loves everyone that folks rejected. He, he came for the ones that people turned away. He didn't come for the perfect. He came for you and for me. And that's, that's good news for us because, man, we don't fit that bill, do we? We're not perfect. Not only did he come for those who were rejected by religion, who, who might be far from God, we would say, um, he, he came and committed all kinds of miracles. I mean, this guy spits in the dirt, makes mud, puts on a man's eyes, and the man can see. He takes fish and loaves of bread, prays over it, and he feeds 10,000 people. He turns water into wine. Think about how long the fermentation process 
Jesus is. And he does that in seconds, not years. He literally speaks to the dead and they come walking out of their graves, man, like a George Romero movie. It's our first reaction and we see and hear things like that. We say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, we can explain all kinds of miracles away. You know, we can do that kind of thing. We can explain it away. It could not have happened that way. It's ancient history. They didn't know what they were talking about, whatever. But none of his detractors dispute these miracles. They had every reason to do so, but we can't find anything in their own texts and manuscripts of them refuting what Jesus did and taught. Nobody said to him at his trials, we saw him raise the dead. It was terrible because they saw him do that and experienced it and they understood there was power behind it. So consider the ministry of Jesus. Every Christian on the planet, every church, all those who held you know, to this faith in Christ for thousands of years are a direct result of His ministry. There are countless people who could say, this is who I was before Christ, and this is who I am after, and I'm totally new. I'm completely different. I'm not who I once was. I was full of hate, now I'm full of grace. I was an addict, now I'm a father. I was lost, now I know who I am. Now I tell you here today that I'm a product of the ministry of Christ. I grew up in church. I grew up in a Christian household. I went to an amazing university, but I had this crisis of faith moment. I couldn't reconcile the many different friends that I had, some from different parts of the world with different belief systems, and I, I couldn't reconcile that together with my faith. And I actually became like a borderline agnostic. I believed the higher power existed, but I wasn't really sure if it was Christ or not, you know? And I tried to justify my beliefs by reading as much ancient history as I could to discover if there was any merit to Jesus and who He was. And I realized there's enough out there to prove that only did He exist. But he, he might be right. And I reason that if he did exist for something that what he taught in the Bible, that must be true or to a certain degree. And so my sophomore year, I sank to my knees in my apartment 2 a.m. on a Thursday morning. I just said, God, I'm done. I can't live like this. I'm all in. And my life has never been the same since. I have brothers who are a product of the ministry of Jesus, who went down a path of just some crazy wild living for a little while, things that my parents don't even know about. But they each had their own personal moments where they realized that Jesus is who He says He is, and their lives were completely changed. I've got a friend who, who I grew up with, a good friend of mine, who lived a similar lifestyle, was kind of crazy. He had an encounter with Christ. Now he pastors an amazing church here in the upstate. I just know way too many people whose lives were wrecked by Jesus, and now they're marriages are healed and their addictions are gone. Their families are together. Their lives are now with hope and they have purpose and joy. Their stories alone are all that I need to know. There's something to this man called Jesus and the empty tomb that he left behind on Easter Sunday. I'm standing before you right now as a person who's new. The old is gone. The new has come. I've been changed by the power and the presence of Christ. I'm not who I once was. Consider for a moment the ministry of Jesus and just the sheer impact that he's had. But I also want to invite you to consider his resurrection too. Why does the resurrection of Jesus even matter? Why so much about this empty tomb? Well, we celebrate at Christmas the birth of Christ. We celebrate this miraculous conception where God becomes man. And, and the reason this matters is because Jesus doesn't inherit the sinful nature that we're all born with and we're born into. He's, he's fully God and fully man at the same time. It, it, it made living a life without sin possible because he's starting from a place of no sin, which is very different from us. 
like other faiths that I touched on earlier, you know, you know, we do have to deal with our own wrongs. We gotta pay for our own sins, but God chose to give us a way out of that. By living a life without sin and dying on the cross, Jesus dealt with our wrongs for us. He took our punishment. And when he died, creation itself actually mourned. Did you know that? Like the sky turned dark. There was a tremendous earthquake. And you're like, well, wait, wait a minute. This sounds real Hollywood here. It does. But consider this for a moment. The ancient historian Thallus writes in AD 52 that there was a darkness which covered the world that at that exact time that Christ died. Tertullian uh, called it a cosmic event. Uh, Felgen writes in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, which is AD 33, when Christ died, there was a great eclipse at noon, the time that Jesus died, uh, and a great earthquake in Bithynia and Nicaea. Creation itself, I'm telling you, man, it mourned for its creator. Even a Roman centurion who had been at the crucifixion, who may have nailed Christ to the cross, says, I believe it all now. This is no ordinary guy. He had to be divine. His exact words from Matthew chapter 27, this man truly was the son of God. Now, Jesus had predicted he would rise again three days later. And when some of his followers who were women went to the tomb, they found it empty. And of course, you know, we could sit there and say, well, the soldier stole the body. That makes a lot of sense. And that's true. It does make sense. But trust me, <laughs> They would have loved to have produced a stolen body. Thinking about how much the church grew, how rapid it grew, the things it caused in the, in the preceding years, they would have loved to have produced the body saying, here he is, but they didn't do that. You say, okay, what about his followers? Wouldn't they have stolen the body? Well, that works. If you think a group of terrified men who are mostly fishermen, skilled laborers, and a tax collector could overpower a legion of the world's greatest fighting force at the time. And if that happened, those soldiers would have to go on record saying, yeah, these guys jumped us and they got us good, man. I just can't buy that. I can't buy that 11 men devised the greatest scheme in history, defeated the world's greatest fighting force, then kept it all a secret at tremendous personal cost to make the world a better place. <laughs> you know, Jesus' followers were witnesses to the empty tomb, and they were radically transformed by what they saw. All of them die, except for one, a martyr's death. Now, why would they die for a lie? Like, there's a lot of things I'd give my life for that are important, but a lie is not one of them. I'm not dying for a lie. So what, what do they have to gain? Like, you know, they died because they saw the empty tomb and the risen Jesus for themselves. One of those guys was Thomas. Boy, I, I, I can relate to Thomas, man. Thomas would not believe any of it unless he saw Jesus for himself. He had to have the proof, the evidence. He's rational here, right? Well, you know what happens? John 20, verse 26. Eight days later, this is after Christ risen from the dead, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Christ was standing among them. Peace be with you, he says. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Hey, look at my hands. Put your, put your hand in the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So the disciples had seen the risen Jesus and they could go to their graves. And in fact, they would shouting to the rooftops who he was and what they saw and how it could change people's lives. It's easy to believe and something when you see it, right? You know what uh, you saw and, and you know what you experienced and nobody can take that from you. And you know, that's why that Christ reserves the greater blessing for those who come to believe even though they've never seen him. People like you and, and me. 
You know what Thomas did? He traveled through what is today Iraq and Iran and then to India, telling people about the risen Jesus and what the empty tomb meant for them. When he reached India, he was actually killed for his faith. That's how much this doubter believed and was changed. As you're considering Jesus today, there's one more consideration I want you to make. Consider the message of Jesus. How are we made right with God? You know, humanity has been asking that question for millennia. How are we made right with the supernatural, with God? We're made right with Him by placing our faith in Jesus. Romans 3.22 tells us this, that we're made right with God by placing our, our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, I love this last part, no matter who you are. Notice what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say we're made right by being good enough and working hard enough. That we're made right by placing our faith in you know, Jesus here, guys. And it's, it's true for anybody. Romans says it's true for anyone who believes, no matter who you are. It's true for you if you believe. It's true for me because I believe. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you think your life is, how messed up you think you might be. It doesn't matter how many people you've hurt or how many times you've yelled at your kids or your spouse. It doesn't matter how many times you've intentionally done something wrong. You are not made right with God by being good enough. You're not made right with God by working hard enough. You're made right because Jesus was perfect, because He took our penalty and paid the price for our sins. This is the difference, guys, between religion and relationship. Jesus never set out to start a religion. Did you know that? Like, He didn't set out to do that. He came to offer us a chance at eternal life. He came to show us the love of God. Religion is all about how well you perform. Relationship is about how Jesus performed. Religion says, hey, if you work hard enough, you're good enough, maybe God will love and forgive you. But relationship says, no, man, God loves me, and that's enough. Religion is about what you do, but relationship is all about what Jesus did for you. Consider the eternal message that you're not made right by God by your own good works, but by the love and grace of Jesus. For me, here's where I stand. If there is a God who loves and cares for His creation so much that He would come for us and take our punishment and you know, take our wrongs for us and die for us on the cross, exactly how He said He would do it, right? And there are eyewitnesses to this and written accounts and ancient historians who can collaborate in these events. I'm telling you right now, if there's a God who's the, who fits that bill, I'm all in with Him. I'm going to go with that God. I'm going with Jesus because that God came from people like me. He came for a sinner. He came for someone who's, who was lost and who was troubled. He didn't come for the people who've got it all together. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the folks who self-proclaim themselves as godly individuals. He came for the sinners. Because of what He did for me, my only response can be, God, I'm all in. I'm yours. He did this for me. What can I do for you? Some of us today, this is, this is kind of what you needed to hear, right? This is what you needed in your life. You're considering Jesus. You're looking at all this saying, yeah, you know what? Because of who you are, Christ, because of what you did, I get it today. I'm in. I want in. Now, how do I do this? And that's where I want to help you. There's a two-step prayer we're going to pray here in just a moment to make Christ our Lord and our Savior. And this prayer gets you into God's kingdom and you become a follower of Christ. But it doesn't end with a prayer. This is just the journey, man. There's a, there's a whole journey God wants to take you on and there's next steps He wants you to walk through. But for today, let's just start with this prayer to make Him our Lord and our Savior. And before we get to that prayer, 
I recognize too, there are those of you watching and listening right now, you realize that you know, you've been doing the religious thing for a while. This is not your first Easter, right? It's not your first rodeo, but you understand, you, you, you recognize that a, a relationship with God is something you don't have. And so you have much more of a religious understanding and experience. And if that's you, I, I just want you to know that, look, you need to let God move 18 inches from your head down to your heart. You're experiencing really what I experienced. You know, you've got all up here. you got all the head knowledge. You're too smart for your own good, probably. You need Christ in your heart today, man. And when we're done praying for those to accept Christ, we're going to pray for you too. In fact, I actually want you to go ahead and pray along with us to make Christ Lord and Savior of our lives. Can you do that? Consider Jesus, man. Consider who He is, what He did, and how He gave His life for you. Father, I love you this morning and this afternoon, whichever we have to be watching here today. And God, I pray that uh, for those who are watching and listening right now, that uh, you will open their hearts and their lives to who you are and to your great love and mercy and grace. And I pray right now for those who need to make you Lord and Savior. God, as they follow along with me, this would be a good time to pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but pray along with me in your own words. Well, uh, we're going to make him Savior first. And it goes like this. Uh, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for my wrong. I pray, Lord, that you would give me a brand new start. Take my sins and my wrongs. Wipe the slate clean in my life. I thank you that you took the punishment for me. I thank you that you dealt with my wrongs for me. I need you to save me today. And now we're going to make him Lord. And it goes like this. Now that I've made you Savior and you've saved my life, I want to make you Lord of my life. I don't want to do my own thing anymore. I don't want to call my own shots. I want to follow you. I want my heart to belong to you. And from this day forward, God, I will follow you. I will obey you. I will submit myself to you and your leadership and your guidance. Be Lord of my life. And if you've prayed that prayer to make him Lord and Savior, you are in the kingdom of God here today. Now, Lord, for, for those who are just struggling with religion versus relationship type moments, they grew up in church, they know a lot of things, they got a lot of head knowledge. God, I pray for them specifically because I was there. I know what that's like. And I pray, Lord, you would help them get the heart behind the why. Get the heart that you have, God. May they reflect you in what they do. May they understand the importance of, you know, uh, having you in their lives and being all throughout their actions and how they treat people, how they love folks, how they forgive folks. May they not judge people or critique people, God. May they be people full of grace and forgiveness. That's where we tend to struggle with a lot. we got a lot of head knowledge. May we just be people of grace and forgiveness, Lord. May they live every day in the grace and freedom that you bring. And can they bring that to others, Lord, I pray as well. Father, we thank you for your son who came and died for us, who is no longer dead, but God is alive here today. And we celebrate Celebrate a risen, resurrected Savior. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Hey, if you pray those prayers with us here today, you are part of God's kingdom. Your spiritual journey is just beginning. Do us a favor. Go to RadiantChurchSC.com. Click share your story. Let us know how God has touched and impacted your life. If you're local in the area, in the Seneca Clemson area, we would love to see you with us in person. We meet every Sunday, <clears throat> excuse me, every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here at Radiant Church at 11075 Watson Drive in Seneca. We're just off of Highway 123. We look forward to meeting you in person. Hey, have an amazing rest of your Easter and let's celebrate guys. Hey, listen, Jesus, he's alive. 
Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.